You're listening to Chris Farrell's On Watch podcast from Judicial Watch. I'm Chris Farrell, and this is On Watch. Welcome to On Watch, everybody, the Judicial Watch podcast, where we take a deep dive behind the headlines and cover stuff that the mainstream media doesn't want you to know about or hear, where we try to recover some lost history and explain the inexplicable. Have a great treat for you today. I'm joined by Dr. Robert Malone. Before we get into the details of our conversation with Dr. Malone, I want to encourage you, whether you're watching us on YouTube or Rumble, to please be sure that you subscribe and hit the bell so that you know when we come up with a new episode. Or if you're listening to the audio version of this podcast on Spotify or any of the other platforms out there, please be sure to subscribe, leave us a rating. Also, email us. Tell us what you want us to do and what you want us to talk about. We've got tons of corruption issues to to cover. Uh, That's a never-ending source of information for us to provide to you. Uh, But today, a real treat. Uh, The man who is really the father of, or the founder of, the mRNA uh, technology used in the COVID vaccine and all that has come from that, Dr. Robert Malone, welcome to On Watch. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yes, the government is a gift that keeps on giving. It is. And, and, you know, you're a man with a conscience, and uh, you you have stepped forward and asked unpleasant questions. You provided some insightful commentary on things that made folks very nervous. Uh, that had them say, well, you know, he's, he's asking tough questions. This is reckless. We can't have this. There were efforts to criticize you, to block you, to ban you, all the usual sort to of... write me out of history. Right. Uh, to deny what I actually did right. as documented in patents and papers. Uh, that, that was the first wave. I mean, there's been a bunch of waves t- of attempts to delegitimize me, and right. they continue on daily. And, you know, I'll point out that in Washington, D.C., this is a very rare thing. There are any number of other people similarly situated as Dr. Malone who would have said, sure, I'll be your number one cheerleader. Just give me a dime for every vaccine, right? You would have been a multi, 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 multi-millionaire on that. Uh, but instead, you said, hey, look, I actually know a thing or two about this. And I have some legitimate questions and these and are concerns th- and concerns. And these are things we should talk about and caution people on. Um, so, you know, you've been through the ringer. You've been through a lot. <laughs> a little bit. And, and it still goes on. But yeah. you, you, you know, once once you decide to go to follow your conscience or go down this pathway. Right. And Judicial Watch, of course, this is your story also. It's really the hero's journey. Once you decide to do this, uh, there's no going back. Um, <laughs> That's you know, for sure. <laughs> yeah, you start asking unpleasant questions, there's no end to it. And, and Well, exactly. The, the pit is so deep and broad that uh, you can go on forever. That's kind of become my new job is as a writer and author together with my wife, with our Substack and with our books. And so pause uh, for a second and tell people about your Substack and books. Get, let, let our viewers and listeners know, hey, if you, they want to find out more, let's get it right up front. Tell us tell them where they can find so, it. So uh, we publish a Substack for those that are not in the business or haven't been tuned into Substack. Substack is a San Francisco-based company that's actually run by liberals uh, progressives, uh, but they are strong free speech advocates. And they've kind of revolutionized journalism and publishing to a large extent because journalism has become so compromised by a variety of conflicts of interest that a lot of 
you know, better journalists, people that have been quite outspoken over time and quite aggressive in their reporting, right. um, uh, have migrated to Substack. Uh, and the Substack business model is such that if you get paid subscriptions, you get a lot more of the money than you get from uh, publishing a book even, let alone working as a a poor journalist. Right, right. And so people like Matt Taibbi and many others have migrated to that platform because it frees them up to speak, even though it's owned by this small group of uh, investors in out of San Francisco, which seems like a paradox yeah, today. Yeah, but you imagine um, lefties would be suppressing this, but yeah, instead, but, but they they are they are they appear to be earnestly committed to free speech. Thank goodness. And, and it's become one of the only sources because all of the social media, including, you know, Twitter has talked a big talk about being a free speech platform, but with their new CEO, not so much. They're very much uh, bought in and required to comply with the new European Union guidelines on censorship, mis and, and misinformation, dis and, and, disinformation, and right. malinformation. Right. Uh, so Substack is. One of the last bastions of publishing freedom in this in this uh, um, Western world. So and if I'm sitting at the keyboard and I type in Substack.com, how do I find you? So it's rwmalonemd.substack.com, and uh, we uh, publish daily. Uh, we take it very seriously. We treat it like a business, like the consulting business that I used to run. Right. That was very customer focused, and and I you know very attentive to the needs of our customers. Now we have. Uh, hundreds of thousands of customers and uh, we can serve all of them uh, and we do our best to do so. But it's really nice having such a distributed uh, funding base because we're not dependent on any one person. We don't have big donors. It's a legitimate grassroots. It is. It's right. This is not AstroTurf. Right. Uh, right. So we Which are, I will add is exactly the way that Judicial Watch is organized. 99.9% uh, of the donations that we get to run this operation are what I call mom and pop donations. Fantastic. Some, somebody reads what we, we're doing, they like it, they write a check for 50 bucks, they send it to us. Yeah, that, it That's sets you free. Bills. It sets That's you free to be honest. Right. You're not compromised by the interests of this donor or that large donor, Correct. et cetera. Exactly. And you also don't have the risk that, uh, for instance, uh, the kind of things that happened with Project Veritas recently. Right, where you have some dominant uh, parties that are influencing the nonprofit, and and can pull the rug out from under if they don't like what you're doing. So rwmloanmd.substack.com, we reach about half a million to a million a day. That's great. And uh, we have uh, over th we have three hundred ten plus thousand subscribers and about fourteen thousand paid subscribers. So that's that's what pays our bills these days Excellent. Uh, and the people that work for us. And then the book that's out is Lies My Government Told Me and The Better Future Coming. Uh, that's available through all booksellers. It's out of the Skyhorse Publishing Group, which uh, does Bobby Kennedy's books and Ed Dowd's book and many others, and uh, has also taken on um, the cause of, of free speech, really, in, in the publishing world. Um, been very brave in what they've been willing to publish. And then we're working on two other books right now. One is about marriage and traditional marriage. My wife and I are heading up to our 45th wedding anniversary. Congratulations. That's awesome. Um, and uh, the other one is about 
um, fifth generation warfare or psyops that has been deployed on all of us, this military grade technology that was developed for offshore combat that is now through the Five Eyes Alliance been turned on the citizen populations of each of those nations. So the UK, Canada, New Zealand, Australia, and the United States. And ironically, all of that is rooted actually in Marxist ideology, right? It's the in large part, this, this uh, psychological operations against the civilian population, you know, has an awful lot of Marxism underneath it. Absolutely, there's no question. And, and we're learning more and more about that as people are taking that seriously. What you just said was kind of prohibited speech uh, even a year ago. Yeah. Uh, and, and now we have uh, leading voices that are really clarifying and elaborating. Um, you know, people are using terms like American Marxism or Ameri you know, a, a, the American Maoism. Uh, and that wraps into all of the divisional isms um, with with kind of the modern embodiment being woke as a as a stereotype. Uh, it's a particular specialty of mine. So I appreciate your work on this. I'm looking forward to this uh, to this fifth generation warfare book. It's, uh, it sounds very okay. interesting. Thanks. Um, let me swing back to sort of current affairs issues just for a second and touch on those. Uh, so the, the the public is being mentally conditioned, psychologically conditioned and prepared. Well put. Uh, for it's coming again. Yes. Brace up. Masks, boosters. They're generating fear so that we get a lot of fear-based decision-making. Uh, we see it on the horizon, or even it's not even on the horizon. It's a little closer. It's a, it's a distant well, enemy. It, so tell, tell us what so you're... So if you track this, and, and you said a key word, fear, yep. the weaponization of fear. Fear is a real powerful tool if you want to control populations and their ability to think because it basically destroys your ability to think Correct. rationally. And you, in, in an environment in which you're surrounded by fear and anxiety, typically people lose their ability to rationally process information, think logically, and they resort back to emotional responses which are easily manipulated. Yep. So in the current just this, this is important. I know you're a fan of history, and so it's important to give a historical context, sure. uh, not to lose the audience, hopefully, but uh, <laughs> I, I think this is, this is important. So um, late spring, early summer, the FDA Verbach made a decision that for the fall, they needed to have this fall that we're coming into now, the right. leaves are starting to fall in Virginia, um, uh, that we needed to have a new booster, a new improved booster. And the problem with anticipating what a new booster for a rapidly evolving respiratory virus might look like, whether it's influenza or SARS-CoV-2, is you basically have to do a crystal ball projection. Right. You don't really know what's going to happen because these things are evolving quite rapidly. Which is also true for the good old-fashioned flu, where they do a, a high-speed guesstimate. Yeah, and um, flu actually has an advantage because flu has a hemispheric uh, um, characteristic to it so that the flu strains that are circulating in the southern hemisphere now are likely to be the flu strains that are circulating in the northern hemisphere in six months. 
So it has this episodic got a, got hemispheric thing. So you get a, yeah. and then they built a huge uh, sampling infrastructure, military and otherwise, in the United States, and aligned that with the World Health Organization and the CDC to uh, sample and help uh, predict strains of influenza that are coming up. Flu has another characteristic that makes it different from coronavirus. It has a segmented genome. And so when you have a cell get infected with two different influenza strains, they can reassort. And so this is the famous H5N1 or H7N9 or whatever those are. That's referring to this reassortment of, of uh, the stranded genome in flu. Fortunately, coronavirus can't do that. It has a single genome, uh, but apparently under the influence of these leaky vaccines, that's, that's the leading hypothesis. This SARS-CoV-2 is evolving much more rapidly than the traditional beta coronavirus uh, viruses that we call the common cold that are circulating. They're also closely related to SARS-CoV-2, okay? So something's happening with SARS to make it evolve very rapidly. So the geniuses at the FDA Verbach last uh, late spring, early summer. So when you say Verbach, just give the acronym. Vaccine, uh, let's see, associated, uh, let's see, Verbach, Vaccine Related Biologics Advisory Product Committee. I think that's what it is. All right. Um, uh, so they made a prognostication that uh, next fall, this fall coming up, right. the uh, threat, viral threat, would be a isolate uh, that a uh, given certain sequence uh, that was starting to pop up at the time that had the very ominous name Kraken. So the, you remember the Kraken? Of course. Okay, yeah. Uh, and, and you remember how we've had uh, just uh, huge amounts of dying in the streets and freezer vans full of bodies and the hospitals. No, none of that happened. Okay. No, it's, it's, not, uh, it's not 1990. None of that happened. Okay. Um, uh, but it had a, a great name. I mean, what a perfect name to scare people with. Of course. The Kraken. Yep. Uh, anybody that's read 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea or seen... Uh, the um, uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, right. uh, they, they understand what the, the fearsome Kraken is. Yep. Uh, so the Verbach in its uh, wisdom decided that we needed to have a booster for Kraken. And uh, unfortunately, uh, Kraken is being outcompeted in particular by uh, a strain that has uh, come to fore and is spreading quite a bit now. Um, uh, I think it's uh, B7, um, uh, Circe, I think is the name for it, uh, as opposed to Parola. Parola yeah. is also kind of dying Another back. name that I've heard, yeah. Um, uh, but uh, these viruses are actually on, a, on two branches away from Kraken. Okay, so if you look at the evolutionary tree, uh, these, these viruses are both, the, all three of these, um, uh, including Kraken, are all derived from Omicron. And Omicron, you'll recall, um, uh, was really transformational as opposed to Delta, the bad boy right. that came before it. Uh, Omicron is highly infectious, so it spreads like wildfire and causes very little disease. Okay, And so functionally, it acted like a live 
vaccine. That's going to say, okay. yeah. yeah. Um, uh, and many people predicted it at the time, and in fact, that's come to pass. So these are, are branches off of Omicron, and like Omicron, they are very infectious and don't seem to be associated with much clinical disease. Which, so which are you sounds, hearing? Which sounds almost like a good thing. Which uh, that's uh, a touchy subject, uh, but uh, um, uh, that's right. I like uh, doing on the show. One, one, one might say that. Uh, <laughs> but you notice that we're not being told that Jill Biden, who's uh, <clears throat> multiply jabbed and multiply boosted yeah. and multiply infected, and presumably may be infected by one of these new variants that are circulating, that we're being told are such a threat. Uh, we have not heard anything about her hospitalization or well, uh, I, I have heard, clinical symptoms. I have heard a reckless and unfounded rumor uh-huh. that I'd like to repeat. Which is. <laughs> <laughs> Here we are in D.C., and, so and you're, the, pro- you're closer that, to that the fire than I am. Reckless and unfounded rumor. Somebody hypothesized perhaps it was a situation where someone had had some plastic surgery done and needed a few days to recover and stay out of the public eye. <laughs> Um, hypothetically, that, that, that hypothetically is, that is reckless and unfounded. <laughs> I don't know why you would even mention that. Uh, I've sometimes, never heard of anything like that happening people, with women. Because sometimes uh, people have stayed out of the public eye <laughs> if they've had work done. Um, uh, just so, so, in any case, uh, um, she has a prior history of infection. And she is multiply inoculated with these products. And and as are many other people, unfortunately, a disproportionate fraction of the people that are hospitalized um, or dying with COVID, as ne- not necessarily from COVID, are the people that are highly inoculated compared to those that are naturally immune or only had one or two doses. That is a fact, and it's been observed all over the world. And unfortunately, those data were suppressed by in the United States by the CDC and the FDA and recent document disclosures have come to fore and were covered in the Epoch Times by uh, um, one of their young reporters uh, that demonstrate that the government has been withholding these data. But we knew that this was the case from data already available from Great Britain and, and uh, from Canada. So. Uh, in terms of these new variants that are circulating, the history of what's happened in the, in the media now is that about three weeks ago, Scott Gottlieb did an a extended segment on Face the Nation. And that, to my eye watching it, was to a large extent a marketing uh, piece, an advertisement for Pfizer's new boosters. And it had a lot of very much forward-looking statements. Just to provide context, both Pfizer and Moderna market capitalization, that's a, a fancy way of saying their stock price, right. has been dropping. Uh, and um, they are the, part of the reason is because they are not generating uh, significant revenue in the way they had been from these vaccines because people are not taking them anymore, including the booster. The booster uptake rate is uh, well below 20% in the United States. So so they're not making revenue. And they agreed uh, in partnership with the federal government 
to produce these new products that they intend to deploy next fall, as does Novavax, which are these Kraken-based boosters. Uh, and uh, so Mr. Gottlieb, uh, whose claim to fame is that he was the senior bureaucrat at the FDA, I don't think he's done anything else in his career of particular note, but he was the senior bureaucrat at the FDA before he left and joined the board of directors of Pfizer. Um, I'm understanding that he also has retains an advisory role for various CIA committees. Um, well, so it's nice work if you can get it. Yeah, I mean it's very it's very convenient. And, and he is he it's is a smooth career path. He, he, there. Smooth is a great way to <laughs> express uh, Mr. Gottlieb. He is very skilled at communication. Uh, is he scientifically adroit or did he do anything technically or scientifically in his career? Not that I'm aware of, but he is uh, clearly a skilled communicator and bureaucrat and, and sits on the board of directors of Pfizer. And historically at MSNBC and CNN and many of the other corporate media outlets is usually cited for his uh, prior position at FDA as director and not usually mentioned as a Pfizer board member, although in this Face the Nation segment, they did. And so Scott came out uh, on Face the Nation for an extended segment and uh, made the case that many scientists were very concerned about these new variants and uh, that uh, Pfizer and Moderna believed that their new boosters would uh, be cross-protective against these. Uh, although the data aren't actually in to provide any evidence that that would be the case, so that we would call this in SEC speak, a forward-looking statement. Yep. Uh, and um, an unsubstantiated forward-looking statement uh, by an officer of the company, just to put a stake in it. Uh, and um, uh, not that there'll be any consequences. and. Uh, so he asserted that there are tests in mice in progress that would show, he anticipates, that these uh, Kraken-based boosters will elicit neutralizing antibodies that will cross-protect against the uh, new strains that are circulating. The problem with that is that it's, it's very it's, fanciful and it's well it, more than that okay <clears throat> it's it's actually they're using the same words and logic fal faulty logic that they used to justify the vaccines in the first place you remember all the press that came out with the first round of vaccines uh was built around the the wording of neutralizing antibodies um demonstrating that these would be protective and yet when Pfizer was confronted in the European Parliament about whether or not they had any data on whether they would actually protect against infection, replication, or spread, mm -hmm. they had to acknowledge that they didn't. And the reason they had to acknowledge that is because neutralizing antibodies, very sciencey technical term, neutralizing antibodies, okay, what that means is that in a... Uh, basically a test tube type assay. It's actually a large multi-well plate assay uh, that's automatically read, but in a, in, a, in a liquid assay on the bench, uh, you can show that if you take these antibodies and add them to the virus, they will block its ability to infect a uh, cultured cell. Mm -hmm. 
Okay, that is a long, long way from showing that these antibodies will actually protect you from disease. But it was promoted to the press in the first wave. All this fancy science language, okay, and and the press being scientifically illiterate basically, yep. in yep. immunology, all lapped it up and kind of said, oh, yeah, hmm, that sounds really uh, important. Also operating from fear, they're grasping at any straw put before them. And so this was the, the strategy that was used to justify the initial inoculations that have been proven to not prevent infection replication spread, not prevent uh, disease and not prevent death. All of those statements are true. Yep. Okay. Um, verifiably true, even though the Washington Post called me a liar for saying them. Um, but they are we're now accepted as facts. Okay. They're using the same logic. Scott Gottlieb is deploying the same logic starting three weeks ago. And this is what kicked off the whole um, wave of, of promotion, really, marketing uh, aimed I suggest at uh, improving uptake of these pre-purchased, federally pre-purchased uh, booster vaccines that are going to be deployed in the fall. And again, just to wrap up, neutralizing antibodies are not a proven correlate of protection. There are no laboratory correlates of protection. So anytime any scientist said, we did this test in, in the laboratory, and we think it means that these vaccines vaccine products are going to protect you from disease, your meter ought to start flashing, okay? Liar, liar, liar. Because if they're worth their salt as vaccinologists and immunologists, they know that the, none of these are validated correlates of protection. They are misleading you intentionally when they use those words and make those kinds of implications. The same is true for the FDA, the CDC, and the pharmaceutical industry. If they make these forward-looking statements that this laboratory test will predict that this product will be effective against this virus, in the case of SARS-CoV-2, they are lying. There is no correlate of protection that's been validated, full stop, okay? So that's an important thing, I think, to see through the press, the haze of the promotion that's going on right, right now. Right, well, there's a lot of hysteria wrapped up in it, and a lot of, as you've mentioned, sort of the pseudoscientific language, which sounds like, hey, this sounds like it's good stuff. Yeah. But, it, but when you pause and parse out the sentence... It's it's garbage. Right. It, it doesn't... It doesn't uh, um, it doesn't demonstrate that which they assert it does. So what's the uh, what's your take on this? I've only seen a couple of stories on it, but the notion that they're going to create sort of an aerosol version of a vaccine and you get inoculated whether you want it to be or not. Right. So that's, um, that's kind of in the same compartment as the Bill Gates, some of the Bill Gates advocacy for... Uh, um, insect vectored vaccines uh, that has been discussed. Uh, if you think it through, uh, this is absolutely possible. Okay, technically, it is absolutely possible. We just discussed it. Um, it is in 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 the natural sense, Omicron acts as such a vaccine, right? 
it, it spreads, everybody gets infected, they don't right. get particularly bad disease. So in, if, if somebody had intentionally engineered Omicron, um, we would call it a live attenuated vaccine. And there are many very effective or relatively effective live attenuated vaccines. Yellow fever is a notable example. Uh, the Salk polio vaccine is a live attenuated vaccine. Mm -hmm. uh, the uh, traditional smallpox vaccines are live attenuated vaccines. They're weakened viruses that when I give you that jab, you get a little version of the disease. And one hopes that you don't have an immunodeficiency or some other quirk in your body right. so that suddenly that thing that normally can't replicate very well in your body is able to cause real disease and or it could revert as is the case with the Salk vaccine where almost all cases of polio in the United States since 1960 since that was deployed actually in the mid 50s have been vaccine induced polio because of reversion of the Salk vaccine to a wild type polio virus by mutation hmm. okay so live attenuated vaccines are absolutely a thing um, they are the closest thing to natural immunity because they actually infect your body. Right. And all the proteins of the virus get produced. Um, only some of them are kind of crippled a little bit genetically. So, uh, so that's all by way of saying the technology is absolutely feasible. Uh, it would be absolutely possible to generate a infectious, especially for a respiratory virus, an infectious live attenuated vaccine. Now, are there other, because you said a couple of things in that. You talked about basically a mucosal vaccine because you talked about the nose. And your audience knows about a mucosal vaccine, whether or not they know it, whether or not they're aware of it, that's produced uh, initially here in the Maryland area by a company called Metamune, and it's called Flumist. Okay, Flumist is actually a cold adapted, because your nose has a lower temperature than the rest of your body. Right. So it's cold adapted, live attenuated influenza. Okay, so when you get that little squirt up your nose or your child does, if they take the Flumist product, they're getting a cold adapted, live attenuated influenza vaccine. Um, they're getting a little bit of influenza replicating in their nose. And right. it pretty much stays in their nose because if it goes into their body, the body temperature is higher than the nose temperature. Kills and that, that makes it so it can't replicate. That's right. how that tech works. So uh, could a, a live attenuated coronavirus vaccine be developed? Well, in fact, um, the existing uh, coronavirus for uh, cattle, I believe, is, in, is a, an attenuated uh, coronavirus that is given, as I recall, intranasally. It's given mucosally in cattle. So is it possible? Absolutely. Sure. Um, could it be possible that it could replicate? Well, one of the problems with flu mist is you have to be kind of careful. Um, and it was one of the things the FDA was very concerned about is whether or not uh, with any kind of frequency, other people would get infected by the flu mist that was inoculated into little Johnny's nose. Right. Um, but I think they kind of figured out that it doesn't happen very frequently because it's pretty weak. And if it does, not that much of a problem. So uh, that's all by way of saying technically what you're describing is feasible. Uh, 
the thing about designing something, let's say you and I, uh, we're going to set up a Judicial Watch Biotech, and uh, we're going to produce a uh, Omicron, Omicron Plus, okay? Uh, and uh, this is going to be a vaccine which is attenuated for disease, which Omicron is, compared to Delta. Right. Okay. And um, is going to spread from person to person so that it goes all around the globe and gives everybody natural immunity, which, by the way, they'll already have because of Omicron. Okay. But we could, we could technically do that. And we would run into a blizzard unless we had, you know, enormous pull with certain influential persons. <laughs> uh, we would run well, into... Well, Washington, so that just uh, means uh, writing a check. Uh, we would run into a blizzard <laughs> of concern because what you're talking about is completely eliminating um, informed consent. Right. Not that it hasn't that, already been. That's eliminated. right where I was going to informed <laughs> consent. What it, and you know people should be reminded. Informed consent means you know what the hell is going on and you make a fully informed decision. Well, uh, that's a that's a short way of, <laughs> of putting it. Or another way to say it is that you're fully informed of the risks and benefits and alternatives. That's another key point to right. informed consent. Right. You don't have to do this. We can go this way. Right? We way. could. You could find yourself a good doc, boost your vitamin D levels to the appropriate level, and uh, make sure that you have early treatment. Uh, for example, let's say if you were a high-risk uh, person, an elderly person with diabetes, just to take a high-risk sure. um, compartment. Very common, very common um, group. You, you uh, should have the option to have uh, access to medical care with early treatment, um, and uh, appropriate monitoring, not over-testing, but appropriate levels of monitoring so that if you developed symptoms, you could determine whether or not you had a, a threatening coronavirus infection and go to your doc and get a, you know, some medicines uh, that would prevent this or reduce the risk. Or you could take a vaccine product. And in a, in a true informed consent environment, you would have instead of these package inserts that are big and blank, right. the size um, of this table, and, and, right. and they say this is left intention, it's left intentionally blank, which right. is what has been going on. You would get a a document like you would find in any box of antibiotics or a flu vaccine or anything else that, or and you would find it online as a PDF. Right. It would say, hey, here's the nature of the product. Here's the contents of the product. Here's how it's manufactured. Here's how the testing went uh, for the manufacturing. Here's how the clinical trials went. These were the preclinical studies that were done. This is what they found. All those things that folks like Judicial Watch have ha been having to scrape out of people um, you know, through amazing legal contortions, <laughs> yeah. uh, normally would just be on a piece of paper. Um, and somebody could read that and they could say, oh, okay, um, hey, you know what? I see there's risks here of myocarditis and pericarditis and, and various other things, uh, you know, blood clots, etc. But I'm so afraid of this virus that I'm going to go ahead and take those risks. Um, and uh, I think that uh, early treatment is bunk, and I just want to get it over with, one and done, take the jab and, and be done with it. That would be true informed consent. Um, we have prohibited, 
basically people from being able to obtain that. Why is bizarre. But that has been the established norm, and it's written into the Code of Federal Regulations as the common rule that particularly for clinical research, this would be the case. But then over the last decade and a half or so, a number of very clever uh, bypass options have been written into the Pandemic and All Hazards Preparedness Act and some of the other um, uh, legislative actions that have been taken around the domain of biodefense that have created outs, exceptions. Just like there is an exception in U.S. policy concerning uh, PSYOPs, basically, um, that's written in that says that the military in, in the PSYOPs manual of uh, um, 2010 that uh, describes the military's PSYOPs approach and capabilities uh, signed off by the current uh, um, head of uh, Department of Defense. Um, uh, Lloyd Austin. Recall, yeah, Lloyd Austin, I think, is the one that signed it in 2010. It has a backdoor clause that none of this stuff can be deployed against civilians in the United States, except if there's a national emergency. Um, and in that case, then it's allowable for the DOD and the intelligence community to deploy their full spectrum of PSYOPs capabilities against the American people. Likewise, there have been clauses written in that all of these norms of clinical research, safety, uh, bioethics, informed consent can all be suspended in the event that there's a declared national emergency. Now, this is one of the big paradoxes about the whole push and the uh, fear going on about this fall. And that is just, that is precisely the problem, is John Q. Citizen, not somebody who's on the bi-coastal elite or somebody who's affiliated with some agency or they don't have, you know, multiple degrees or whatever, just an ordinary citizen, small business owner, a mom taking care of kids, they look at this whole thing and they they don't know what to believe. They know they don't want to get sick and they don't want family members sick. Or dying. Or, right, or they get sick, it's no big deal, but they can't go see grandma because they're afraid because she has multiple backgrounds. Or, or Jimmy can't go to school. Right, and and so they sit there and say, they don't, what the hell are we going to do? I yeah. mean, we don't know who to believe or trust. We don't, the information they do give us, we think they're lying. So even that, we can't rely upon. So, I mean, that is the crux of the, the that ones that I themselves. feel most sorry for are the young parents. Yes. Um, uh, I, I, I've raised, Jill and I, my wife and I have raised two kids, two boys, and we're very proud of them and what they've done with their lives. They're married and employed and all that kind of stuff. And we kind of forgotten how hard it is to be a young parent. Right in our 60s now. Uh, and the other day we went and visited our older son and our two grandchildren, his wife and the two grandchildren. And my God, they are working hard. They are full-time running herd on this two-year-old and this four-year-old. I mean, it is hard work being a young parent. And on top of all that, this just breaks my heart. Young parents now that are conscientious, which is to say most, if you have children, I sure. think, uh, face this paradox of what do I do about vaccinating my child? And uh, they basically have two options, trust the government. That's become more and more untenable. 
over the last three years as things have been... Uh, um, well, they've been lied to over and over again. Over and and over there's again. so much contention over basic facts. And, and then, you know, we have turtles all the way down and the problems with the vaccine safety for all the childhood vaccination schedule. And the vaccination schedule has gotten enormous. Yes. Uh, and kids are subjected, you know, newborns are subjected to these highly inflammatory products. And, uh, in, you know, there is correlative data epidemiologically about a number of syndromes, and I'm not going to go there here, but, uh, you know, the audience is well aware of the whole controversy about vaccines and a variety of childhood illnesses and long-term consequences, including impacts on mental health. And uh, what's a young parent to do? Because right. they, they kind of face two choices. They can go along with the government and just accept, which is to say, go along with what their pediatrician is telling them. And what they don't know is that um, at least about half of the revenue that pediatricians make are rewards that they get for vaccinating children. Right. They're incentivized. There's a bonus schedule. Right. Okay. Right. So we, we did a discovery on this uh, in our little group uh, and published it on the Substack. We obtained documents from Anthem Blue Cross Blue Shield about the incentive programs, and then we did back calculations of, um, concerning the average number of patients carried by an Anthem Blue Cross Blue Health uh, primary care physician. And when you run the numbers with their financial incentive programs, because it's stepped, if you only get half of your patients vaccinated, then you get this much per patient. Right. And if you get 80% of them vaccinated, you get this much per patient. Basically, it tops out about 350000 a year. That's not small. Right. I was going to say, that's a nice chunk of change. <laughs> yeah, you, as incentives for right. pushing vaccines. Exactly right. right. For marketing vaccines. Right. This is really what it is, is marketing vaccines. I'll tell you a little story. Judicial Watch work we did. This is way back when. Uh, so Merck gets knocked in the head over Vioxx. And they come up with this brilliant idea of, well, we need another revenue stream. And somebody very smart on their staff said, well, let's let the government be the enforcement agent to make sure our product gets sold. And what do they come up with? Gardasil, right? right. And you're supposed to believe that people are dropping <clears throat> dead on street corners from papillomavirus, which is not true. Right? Mm -hmm. But they dream up uh, Gardasil. Yeah, I, rem I remember when all that happened. And, and then there was the uh, encephalitis vaccines that the, the uh, quality-adjusted life year cost-benefit analysis at the uh, um, uh, CDC Verbac vaccine-related by, uh, I'm sorry, that's the FDA one, um, the CDC ACIP uh, determined that it really wasn't cost-effective. And so what happened was the pharmaceutical sponsor had a couple of parents come in and they gave a slideshow to the ACIP talking about uh, the personal tragedy of this parent and that parent with their child that had obtained, had contracted meningitis and died. And that turned the tide and uh, ACIP voted for it. And what most people don't understand is that the Vaccines for Children program that the Congress has approved is, I believe, the only program that doesn't have ongoing congressional oversight for spending. So once that program was approved, the policy is 
that this civilian advisory group at the CDC with, uh, if their advice that a given vaccine is appropriate for use in children, if they make that determination and the director of the CDC signs off on it and CDC is incentivized to do so, right? Um, then there will be an automatic purchase marketing and distribution of that vaccine throughout the United States children. Okay. So that's the vaccines for children program. And it is, it is a, a direct pipeline into the federal budget for purchase marketing and distribution of any vaccine that gets approved for use in children by the ACIP. And that's the way the world is. Okay. And that is, and by the way, what happens an answer, you know, as if that's not good enough, right. we're going to make it even better. Here's what we're going to do. Um, if you get, if you grab that brass ring, uh, you basically obtain as a pharmaceutical sponsor, that's the technical term for the people that make it, uh, um, you get indemnity. So what you get, the brass ring you get, if you get this through this commission made up largely of academics who are influenced by who they get money from, okay, um, and have done a very poor job, well-documented, very poor job at disclosing conflict of interest. They define conflict of interest very narrowly, mm -hmm. okay, um, is that um, if, you can, if you can get your product navigated through this process, then um, the federal government becomes your sole source. You sell to them or to their approved distributors. They market it for you. They distribute it for you. Um, and they provide you legal indemnification in case there's any problems. And you pay a small amount to a vaccine compensation fund. Uh, and but the revenue stream is unlimited. It is, it is, okay, then it gets even better, okay? It's a permanent cash cow because, so you, you are granted a virtual monopoly in perpetuity, okay? Because once there is a licensed vaccine for an indication, then any newcomer that wants to enter that market space, any competitor that has a better product, a, a cleaner manufacturing process, whatever, um, has to demonstrate that their product is superior in one way or another to your product, either safety or effectiveness. Okay, once you have something that has some degree of effectiveness in the infectious disease space, then it becomes uh, statistically very, very difficult, which equates to lots of money and time. Right, to get in on that. Okay, right. to, because, to demonstrate that yours is better than that one. Okay, and so functionally, um, you're granted a monopoly in that space in perpetuity because, you know, once it's in the vaccine schedule for children, nobody ever looks back and says, oh, no, 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 no. we need to have more polio, All right? Yeah, um, exactly right. And this is, this is the thing, not to pump Bobby Kennedy, uh, but he is correct, technically, in my opinion, as is Del Bigtree, that uh, as is the book Turtles All the Way Down, that what's happened in the vaccines for children space is a curious situation where the early childhood vaccines 
were basically grandfathered in uh, because they were built mid-century, mid-20th century, mm -hmm. um, to standards that no longer exist. They're grossly outdated, you know, with very small um, uh, study samples akin to the 20 right. that you mentioned uh, that were used to justify these new boosters. Um, uh, and, uh, and once those are licensed, uh, then the logic has been that um, each new vaccine in terms of its safety needs to be compared to those that were already grandfathered in. So none of these vaccines really have true placebo controls. So what we have in terms of the risk profile and risk benefit is everything here is very skewed data saying that this risk is for this new product is not substantially different than the comparator vaccine that we administered in the control group in this clinical trial, okay? Now, whether or not that comparator vaccine was truly safe is unknown because it's been grandfathered in historically. Yeah, it's, it's a false comparison. I'll, I'll say that uh, <clears throat> there's things I agree with him on, there's things I don't, but I think uh, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. has done yeoman's work in trying to bring this up as an issue because they attack him and say he's anti-vax, which is a lie, much as they attack you. Oh, anti it's just a smear. Yeah, I'm, I'm the anti-vax uh, vaccine uh, specialist. Right, right. Uh, so it's, it's just no. In fact, I heard him respond back. He goes, no, I just want safe vaccines. What's wrong with safe vaccines, yeah. right? I mean, that's... Yeah. I saw a couple of interviews with him, and yeah. and that's and that's what he points to because there, there's no real safety tests or evaluations that have been or made. or the safety. I think it's more to be fair, because um, we try to be fair and balanced sure. here. Um, is that uh, to the extent that we have safety information, it's not rigorous, right? Uh, and it has an intrinsic bias uh, that makes it so that it is less useful and reliable than we would like. And going back to the, the poor young couple um, or parents yep. with their newborn or young child having to make this decision, they, they call me all the time and write to me and, and uh, seek my counsel. Uh, and I have to tell them there, there is no simple answer here. You have two choices. You can you can basically concede uh, to the government the responsibility for assessing whether this product is indicated and safe and effective. Right. Or you can assume that responsibility yourself. So these young parents who are not, you know, MDs, uh, they're not, and MDs basically are not trained in vaccinology. Sure. Uh, so yeah. they're faced with this enormous decision. Uh, and either way, they can lose. They can say, no, I'm going to defer this vaccine or I'm not going to take the, I'm not going to have my children take this vaccine right. or I'm not going to take it in pregnancy. And uh, they could have the bad thing happen statistically. Okay. And then they're going to hate themselves the rest of their life because they made the wrong decision. Or they can make the decision to go ahead and take the product and their child might have an adverse event associated with that. And then they hate themselves for that. Sure. They're in a real pickle. Yep. And, but what I, what I counsel with this is this is intrinsically the challenge of being a free independent person. 
if if you really are committed to being um, to loving freedom and personal autonomy, this is the world you live in, where your every action has potential consequences, and you will have to live with them. And most people don't want that. Most people want to be told what to do. There's only about 10 to 15% of the population that really wants freedom. Thank God. <laughs> yeah, or, or at least what we talked about a moment ago, informed consent. Yeah. Lay out all the facts in front of me, show me alternatives, then I'll make the decision. Yeah. But I, if you're not going to give me all true information uh, and all of it uh, and let me make an informed decision, well, then... I mean, that's the problem that we're in, right? Because people, they and, don't well, believe and, that what they're getting stems, is even true. It stems from the fact that most people want to be told what to do. That's how we got here. Yeah. Is most people were quite happy to have the federal government tell them what to do. And now suddenly they've, a, a subset have woken up and, and said, holy moly, yeah, uh, we can't trust the government right. anymore. Oh, right. no, what are we going to do? Right, right. That's exactly <laughs> Uh, so with the, framing that up, I, I'd like to kind of move towards a, a conclusion with you and just, so I'm, I'm almost restating what we just discussed, but uh, we're marching into this next right. season yeah. where they're already hyping, masking up, COVID boosters. Oh, and by the way, let me interrupt you. Why is it a season? You ever think about that? Why do we have flu season? And coronavirus season. Yeah, please. Okay. Yeah. So there's some great data out of the UK. Um, if you look at vitamin D levels, they go up with the summer sure. and come down yeah. with the winter, particularly in the UK, because they don't have a whole lot of sunlight in the winter. They don't right. have much in the summer either. But. <laughs> also true. <Yeah. laughs> okay. Um, vitamin, natural vitamin D levels, which has, have clearly been shown to be essential immunologically for resistance of, to a variety of pathogens, mm -hmm. including respiratory viruses, they fluctuate seasonally. And there is, it's always been a mystery to me as a physician and a vaccinologist and an infectious disease wonk, um, why do you see these seasonal fluctuations, right. particularly in respiratory viruses? And it just so happens Correlation is not causation, doesn't prove it. But the seasonal fluctuations in vitamin D almost completely coincide with seasonal fluctuations in these respiratory infections. So there's that. And on top of that, the data are clear. If your vitamin D levels are in the right range, in the healthy range, you are highly resistant compared to those that have low vitamin D levels to respiratory viruses. Mm -hmm. So that seems to be why we're heading into a flu and season. coronavirus season right. is because people's vitamin D levels go down as off. the sun fades away. Right, right. Now carry on. No, but I was just going to say, so as we go into this, and it's already being manipulated, and Biden's already talked about, you know, making people... Oh, MSNBC is all in. Right. So, uh, you know, not uh, not your family members, but your family members' friends, Um you know, they, what are they supposed to do? What's, it's tough to give generic advice, but how do you approach this? How do you think about this? Because there's going to be a drumbeat. There's going to be pressure. And so I've, I've, I've put out two um, uh, substacks that talk about this Good. specifically. Okay? Good. Um, uh, one is on the Parola variant and one's on this EG5 variant. Good. Um, and uh, I go through 
I get a little snarky on the latest one <laughs> Good. Uh, um, about Scott and, and the press and all that. But um, it lays out a lot of these same points that we've been discussing with a lot more detail about uh, the fact that, for instance, um, we're currently running at about 40 deaths per day, United States, border to border, um, coronavirus associated deaths. That's compares to uh, fentanyl and opioid daily death rate in the two to 300. Easily. Okay. Yep. The way um, I compare it is they're crashing a 737 filled with people 18 to 45 every day. That, 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 uh, that, with that, opioids. That, that's the fentanyl death. Yeah, yeah right? uh, well put. So, well put. so if, you, okay. if, if, you're, if you're willing to have a 737 crash with young people every day, and you're not going to do anything about it. Why right? are you so wound up over 40? It's coronavirus associated deaths. So those might have been people that were on death's door anyhow. And all kinds of other Or got conditions. a gunshot or right. car wreck right. or whatever else. Right. Okay. And the baseline rate of a coronavirus infection, daily infection rate in the United States has in fact doubled. Oh, my God. It's doubled. It's gone from about 7,000 a day to a little under 14,000 a day, okay? That is a tiny little blip if you look at the tracing of coronavirus of SARS-CoV-2 infections over the last three years. It's a tiny, it's a 100% boost off of what is functionally almost nothing, okay? And, so, and the recovery rate is up at... Close to 99%. Yeah. If you so, get it, 99% of people walk away especially from if they, Especially if they have, even if they're in high-risk groups, if they have access to early treatment. And they say, boy, um, that was miserable, but so, I feel better now, and it's over with. Yeah, right? it's a, so. it's, it, it is very much like the flu now, particularly with these Omicron-related strains. So it's, it's not at the uh, extinction boundary threat that uh, it was stoked up to be. Right. Uh, just like climate change is stoked up as an extinction level boundary event, um, just like uh, food supply and energy. I mean, this is we're hearing this constant drumbeat of, oh, my God, we could all be dead if we don't do this. Right. Correct. Um, uh, the Greta Thunberg statements are, are notorious. So in the face of that, the truth is, if you look at the data that we are not facing a major wave of death and disease this fall unless something radically changes, which well, you could. But right now, there's no evidence of it. There's also no evidence that these boosters will have any impact on the currently circulating variants, the EG5. Um, so what can you do? What's a person to do? My advice is get your vitamin D levels checked. Find a doc that will help you with that get you in the right range, eat well, lose weight, exercise, okay? exercise, um, spend some time outside. Don't succumb to fear. Fear actually damages your immune response. Okay. That's the paradox of all the fear that the press right. has been spreading right. is they've actually made it worse for people um, uh, for no good reason at all. And uh, find a doctor that is willing and able and experienced in providing early treatment for COVID and, and work with them. Make sure they're on your uh, speed dial. Right. And if you and learn, we all pretty much know what the symptoms are of 
SARS-CoV-2 infection because we've all had it at this point. Virtually everybody in the United States has had a, corona, a SARS-CoV-2 infection. Right. So we know what the symptoms are like. We know what they're like for you personally. Uh, and if you are in a high risk group or concerned or you have to maintain your job daily, you know, and you want to minimize time off uh, for an infectious disease, make sure you find a doc who is skilled and experienced in providing early treatment. And, uh, you know, consider, I think it is, there's a problem with over-testing. Um, but beyond that, at the personal level, having an antigen test is not a bad thing. Um, and if you start to feel flu-like symptoms uh, and you do a swab and it comes back positive on that little stick, uh, like a pregnancy test, well, time to go call up that doc that's on your uh, speed dial and say, hey, doc, looks like I may have this. I'm right. starting to have these symptoms. Uh, what can you do for me? Uh, and he's going to say, hey, here's, I, here's my protocol. I think you should take X, Y, and Z. And I'm not going to tell you what he's going to say. Sure. But he'll, he'll come up with something. And uh, you may have a bad case of it. Uh, a friend of mine had his first case of COVID uh, just three weeks ago, and he got the ocular infection. So he got infected in his eye, hmm. and he had a lot of edema and swelling coming into his face. And I sent him to my doc, who's a, a local uh, um, Rappahannock County physician, country doc um, in Little Washington. Mm -hmm. And uh, he went to visit him, and he got some steroids and some other drugs, and, and I followed up with him the day later, and he said, oh, it's like a miracle. I can't believe how quickly that resolved. Um, and I'm feeling all better, and here's a picture of my face. And it's no longer swollen. Yay, okay. Um, and uh, that's, that's the responsible way to handle it. It's kind of old school, right, back when physicians would actually take care of patients and would just blindly follow hospital protocols. Right. But I think that is the way forward, even if you're in these high-risk groups. The problem, and I got this question the other day on a podcast. It's the hardest question of all. Dr. Malone, do you advise that high-risk patients take these boosters? Okay. That's like answering the, yeah. have you stopped beating De your wife question. Depends on the situation. There's no yeah. good answer to exactly. that one. Okay. What is the underlying? Yeah. There's a whole medical history. Yeah. There's no good way to answer, that, answer but, that. But I think it's safe to say, even if you're in the high-risk groups, um, Know your own medical history. Find a doc who's experienced and willing uh, and, um, and communicate with them. Don't hide it. If you, it's not a sin to become infected with this thing. Don't hide it. Don't feel ashamed. Uh, just get early treatment. And the data shows that you'll be fine. Exactly. Exactly. Dr. Robert Malone, thank you so much for your time and for your insights and for a wonderfully frank conversation about all the craziness of the alphabet agencies and what they're doing. It's a disservice to our country. You've been uh, very brave, very forthright. Thanks. You've been really a, the public's con conscience on this issue. And uh, 
It's subjected to a lot of BS, really, that uh, no, nobody deserves. It goes on daily. Yeah. <laughs> but thank you very much for joining us on Watch. It's, uh, it was wonderful of you to take the time to talk to us about all this. I'm glad to do it, and I have deep respect for what Judicial Watch has done. You guys have played a key role in bringing truth and light into the situation all the way through the last three years. Thank you very much. Thanks for joining us. I'm Chris Farrell on Watch. Thanks for listening to Chris Farrell's On Watch podcast. For more information, visit www.judicialwatch.org because no one is above the law.